The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast. I am Jordan and Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Brooke Deshra. And as always, now on Mondays, we are also joined by the wonderful Taryn Hatcher. Taryn Hatcher elicited your questions on social media, and we're going to do our best to answer most of them. And if we have any held over, we will answer them on our next episode. So, uh, Taryn, I'm going to toss it right to you. Let's get right into the questions. Why not? So literally, if I look at my first dozen questions here, um, health of Nolan Patrick, will Nolan Patrick be back? Do you expect Nolan Patrick to be healthy? What are realistic expectations for Nolan Patrick? Now, we actually saw recently Twitter pictures come out of Nolan Patrick scrimmaging, which is honestly kind of news to me. Jordan, I know you and I and Brooke at times were around the skate zone and when he would travel with the team early part of last season uh, for a bit, would see him skating or running through certain portions of drills. But I hadn't actually seen him, I believe, play in any sort of even modified kind of three-on-three breakout, none of that stuff. He really wasn't in kind of action-type drills. So this, this could be huge, Jordan. Yeah, I think it's a great sign. It's, you know, I wouldn't put too much into it. Um, but yeah, he is scrimmaging up in Brandon uh, with a group organized by former flyer Ryan White. Uh, and he's been doing it probably for six to seven weeks now, uh, just scrimmaging, working out, uh, skating. I'm sure the scrimmages are very non-contact more than they are contact. And I think that will be the biggest hurdle ultimately when they get back to Philadelphia, uh, they have training camp, uh, and if Nolan is clear for contact, that will be the biggest hurdle because he was never clear for contact during the year uh, last season. If he did anything, it was practicing in non-contact jersey um, or, you know, skills practices or side sessions. He was never clear for contact. So I think that's really the next step is getting him um, allowed for contact and then seeing how, how the next steps follow, how his body um, and everything reacts to it. So, but I think it's a great sign from all – from all the things we've heard, Taryn and Brooke from Chuck Fletcher, uh, he's progressing. He's living mostly a normal life. And it sounds like he's, yeah, he's scrimmaging up and branding with Ryan White and other pro guys and prospects and all is well. So I guess we'll see what happens when, when everyone comes to where he's in New Jersey, maybe in sometime in December for camps. Uh, that will be the next hurdle. But so far, so good. And I think all the signs are pointing in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of talked about Nolan Patrick here and there so far throughout the offseason and I think one of the biggest thing that we've came to consensus with is there's potential that he's going to be ready to go there's still that kind of uneasy uneasiness of not being sure of how things are going to fall yet and that's perfectly 
fine. It's almost expected right now. I feel like if he comes into camp and he gets the green light, like, all right, he's expected to start the season, then I think we're in a better position than we would anticipate going into a camp. So, I mean, it's really great that he's scrimmaging. I think it's great that he's building back that kind of endurance for games. Um, but yeah, we can't, we can't look too far into it yet, but it's definitely a great sign for sure. Now, the, the other question that came up a lot were expectations. What are realistic expectations to have? I, as a person who I like to think is fairly tapped in with, with in the bounds of what we're allowed to talk about and what we've been told with absolute certainty, it, it still feels like that is an enigma of itself, what the realistic expectations can be. However, you know, the thing, and this was what I know, Jordan, you wrote about this, and I'm sure, Brooke, we've all discussed this before. Nolan's, Nolan's road to coming back was basically they would give him sort of an agenda for the week, and the, the goal was to execute the agenda without issue. And he would do that for a week or two weeks or days, however, whatever fit that specific agenda. And if he did it without issue, then they would add to it. And if he did that without issue for a sustained amount of time, then they would add to it. And if there was issues, they would have to pair back to the point that there were no longer issues. Now to see him even in a non-contact scrimmage means that he's built up that base enough to be at that point, which to me is, is quite reassuring. Um, but I guess, Brooke, I'll throw it to you this time. If you as a person who I know loves the Flyers with all of your heart as a fan and then now has to be objective as a journalist, mm -hmm. had to caution your fellow Flyer fan friends as to what to expect out of Nolan Patrick, what do you think you would say? It's really interesting to kind of expect much from him coming into this season um, because, one, we don't even know if he's going to be able to play. And, two, while he is, you know, he's got one more year now to kind of earn a new contract. And I think that he did that as a way to challenge himself to earn what he believes he's worth. And I do like that kind of competitive edge with that he has with himself. However, he hasn't played an NHL game in over a year now. And I think that's going to be a huge factor into jumping right into things. I don't think he's going to come in and score 25 goals, be a 60-point center for the Flyers this year. I think that that's something that's really unrealistic. I hope he proves me wrong. I'm always rooting for him. Uh, someone who deals with migraines, I can't even imagine being an athlete who plays hockey specifically that has to deal with those kind of things. So I always want health to be put first. But also, I think he's I don't think he's going to exceed expectations. I think he's just kind of going to meet the bar, at least in his first season back, because it's, it's a lot to jump right back into things now with all of the hurdles that he's had to face. That being said, though, and Jordan, I'm sure you can speak to that. There's no good time to deal with this issue. But in the grand scheme of things, with the way COVID has worked and the pause has worked and everything else has played out, I mean – he could, could essentially have missed 
a full season, a full postseason, and now be having missed a preseason camp and a month of hockey at this point if we were on a normal NHL schedule, which means by the time things come back, and we will get to that question later, I mean, hopefully this has given him some time to really do what he has to do without the pressure of I mean, the thing is, Philly fans love their teams, but they expect a lot out of their players. And so he's certainly had to navigate this with, with quite a load on his back. Yeah, and if there's really a silver lining, you said it, Taryn, that um, the COVID-19 p- pandemic has really given him more time to kind of just try to figure out what works for him day to day and and see how he can eventually get back to doing what the Flyers hoped for him to do and what he probably has dreamed of doing, and that's obviously playing every day in the NHL. So that's, I think that's a positive. He's had an extended period of time um, with the breaks and the uncertainty of when next season will start, when this previous season was going to restart. He's really had a lot of time to just focus on him and what works for him. So that's a positive. And similar to what Brooks said, I think if I was to tell a Flyers fan to give them um, kind of an in-between optimistic and pessimistic point of view is that uh, we're just expecting him to play now, right? Uh, with the second overall pick, you're thinking of production. Where, like, if they're not producing enough, we probably would be upset as a fan. A fan would be upset. He didn't score enough or he's not doing that enough. Now, just the expectation is just, hey, let's see if he can play. Um, so maybe that's part of the bad side is that, like, we haven't really seen him play as much now. And we're not even expecting him to put up points or goals or assists. Really, we're just looking for him to play. Um, the positive side of it is he's only 22. He's only 22 years old. He's just a kid, and his whole future is ahead of him. Give it time. I know it's tough to be patient in this city, but Sean Couturier didn't have his breakout season until year seven of his career. Uh, Scott Lawton really didn't become the player that he is until really the last two years. Um, it took him time as a first-round pick to finally find out who he is as a player and kind of produce the way the Flyers probably had hoped. So – it's tough to be patient, but hey, hopefully Nolan Patrick can figure out what works for him, kind of put it in the rear view eventually, and uh, go out and play, and hopefully the Flyers can get some production from him. All right, speaking of production and speaking of Patrick's, uh, Patrick Line, I got a ton, a ton of people asking about the feasibility of that, what that looks like, is it a fit, do you like it, blah, 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 um, which is interesting because – Listen, Matt Niskanen retiring sucks. Like, I will not mince words. It sucks. I think everybody on the team, like, is kind of bummed that he's not there anymore. Great guy, great player. Chuck Fletcher certainly loved him. Um, But it does does free up some cap space, uh, which the Flyers kind of needed. And there are ways – I've seen the math. I don't pretend to be, like, one of those people who can just, like – look at cap space and look at buyout numbers and look at this, look at that and be like, Oh, if they put this here and that there, you know, but th- there are ways I've seen people play out ways that Patrick line eight could fit cap wise. He, he has a uh, $6.75 million uh, little hefty weight that comes with him. So, but he'd be, you would hope he would be instant production on the wing. Um, you know, just a, a guy who would bring – we talk about the Flyers don't really have kind of a sniper type. They're really not a team that has that. I know JVR is really a pure scorer within his own game, but um, 
in terms of putting a guy on a power play and just knowing he can snipe it, he would certainly fit that need. But Jordan, what do you think it would take and how realistic do you think it is to see a line a in Philly? Because about two dozen people would really like to see him here. <laughs> I can tell you at least that responded to me. No, I love the chatter. I don't find it totally realistic because for some of the reasons that you mentioned, his cap hit is huge and he's going to be a restricted free agent after this upcoming season. So he, not only if you traded for him, would you have him for a year, but with a pretty sizable cap hit, but then he's due for a new deal and he's a future, like he's already a superstar in this league and he's only 22 and getting better. So he's going to be due a probably a raise on top of probably a lengthy deal. And just with this flat cap era and the Flyers having obligations to some of their in-house people like Carter Hart, Sean Gattorier, people that will be due for new deals down the line. I just don't see it. I, I think the Flyers should peek into it. I don't think they should never, ever not pick up the phone or look into Patrick Line, but I just don't know if they're going to be able to go out and do that in this type of climate with the NHL has right now in terms of, and then also their in-house people. So uh, I just don't see it being super realistic, but Taryn, I do agree that he is a bona fide sniper and I don't think the team had the Flyers have that, but uh, it doesn't mean you can't score goals without a guy that's like one of the best snipers in the league, but he will be exciting yeah. here. I just don't see it happening. Uh, what do um, you guys think? Among those other in-house guys you have to consider is Claude Giroux as well. I know yeah. whether or not he wants to go somewhere else, that's up to him. Yes. Um, a lot of people were asking about, would you swap Patrick's, send a Nolan Patrick if, if, the, if Winnipeg would want him? I mean, he's a Manitoba kid. Yeah. You think that he might want to be there. Now, this is total speculation. This is all just – I mean, I have people in my DMs, like, trying to sell me on trading Nolan Patrick, and it's <laughs> not in my power. But um, one of the things that came up that was interesting is that Winnipeg needs – like a top four pairing defender. Sandheim certainly fits that bill. There were questions about whether or not Goss to would be worth anything to them. And then potentially bringing in Patty or, you know, draft picks, et cetera. Um, but Brooke, I'm really interested to think, to see how you think line a would do fitting into Philly, because there were some concerns that even though 6.75 million is a huge paycheck that he felt like he was, um, underpaid a little bit in Winnipeg, and there's been some rumors of him being less than stoked being in Winnipeg. And you've got a Flyers locker room that really gets along and that is really tight knit. Not to say that he couldn't fit in here, um, but I know I've been told from people when Chuck calls about players, he calls everyone about everything, and it all matters to him. And I think that's why the Flyers have such a good locker room. How would you see Line A fitting in if he at all does fit in here in Philly? Um, well, again, right off the bat, um, I'm with Jordan in the sense that I don't think it's realistic. So while I like looking into it, I don't think it's something that I, I dive into that much just because it's like it seems too far out of reach. And I think that that should be really telling on like where the flyers stand. Obviously I, I have no idea what's going on. I'm just media. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. I think like you said, this flyers group specifically over the past season has 
really transformed their locker room into a really safe and structured place for their players. And not saying that it hasn't been like that in the past, but it has significantly increased since Elaine Vigneault has joined the club and Chuck Fletcher has taken over. And I think that it would, not that it would be like a power struggle or too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing, but I think the Flyers, why they were successful as they were last year is because they embodied what a team is and they embodied teamwork and they didn't really need to have this kind of elitist superstar come out and take control because if one player wasn't having a great night, then somebody else stepped up. And that's really what a team is. It's always great. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be incredible to have a sniper to his caliber on this roster, but in terms of what it would take to get him to Philly, because a lot of people are like, Oh yeah, like let's, let's throw Nolan Patrick, a few first or second rounders and ship him off to Winnipeg. Winnipeg doesn't want that. <laughs> they're, they're going, you would have to give up a Konechny. You would have to give up, like you said, a Sandheim. I personally wouldn't want to move Sandheim. I like no. him. I think his upside is going to be no. phenomenal. But it's when you're, you're sitting back and evaluating things in a broader perspective, too many things lead in the direction of it just nothing makes sense on all ends. And like I said, while having a sniper in Philly would be great, I would rather have this overall team dynamic than just be like putting all of the weight on one player's shoulders with a monster contract and maybe he just doesn't fit in the city. So maybe he just uh, doesn't resign. Maybe he's here for a year and then he's like, pay me 8 million or I'm out, you know? Right. Right. And then how much do you lose for just getting him for a single year? It just, nothing really adds up in that aspect for me. So I am out on line A. I don't want him. Sorry. He's fantastic. It's like some, but. it's like some, um, like some fun G-rated Flyers fan fiction, you know? It's fun to think about <laughs> it. Like, oh, can you imagine him on a line with so-and-so and so-and-so? Like, I think he would be hysterical on a line with, like, Kevin Hayes and Travis Konechny. I just think that would be, like, a, an electric, fun line to watch. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, well, in the, in the future, though, would I like to give up Sean Couturier, potentially not be able to afford – Carter Hart. The Flyers have a few players who they're paying a lot of money to right now and some buyouts. And like looking at Cat Friendly, I almost went dizzy yesterday trying to figure it all out. And you're just like, yeah. You know. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Nissan, we just made your choice for a new car an easier one than ever with our most exciting and fuel-efficient lineup. The choice is yours. Now, get great offers across our full line. Shop at your local Nissan store today at nissanusa.com. First up, tons of questions about when the season's going to start. We don't know. There's no inside track on knowing. Uh, I spoke to, to Bill Daly a few weeks ago. He certainly reiterated that the hope 
is January 1st. We saw that the NBA agreed to the timeline that they kind of wanted to, to get to. Um, and the NBA was really the leader in the pause movement. Um, when they decided to pause their league, everybody decided to pause their league, them getting on track in time for the holidays, uh, you would expect would want to drive the NHL to want to be on track. Um, that being said, I certainly don't know if January 1st will happen. Uh, Brooke, I, I'm kind of curious, realistically, do you think we see players on New Year's Day, um, especially given the fact that some of them could argue that they'd like to spend their first New Year's home with their family? And I mean, some of these guys probably haven't done it in 10 years. I haven't done it since I got into the business when I was 21. So I know I'm sort of like, go for the third. Let's do the third. So Brooke, realistically, when do you think we see people drop the puck in an actual NHL game? I mean, listen, I can probably speak for every single person around the NHL, hockey fans, whatever. You want hockey back. I want hockey back so badly. But in a realistic standpoint, first of all, we have to look at the timeline for the end of December into January. Whereas not only do you think a lot of these players would want to have New Year's for the first time, like you said, probably since they were entered the league in, at home, but also when's the last time you've seen a hockey game on Christmas? You know, so I think that the same thing's going to go with training camp. Players are going to want to be able to be home with their families for the holidays and given what you need at least three, three weeks worth of training camp, two, three weeks, that's smack in the middle of when things would have to kind of resume. So given the global pandemic and everything going on, it's really a lot because at the end of the day, yes, they're athletes. Yes, it's a professional sport. It's their job. They're still people. And I think that that's something that needs to be reiterated time and time again, because sometimes people forget they have every right to want to be able to spend the holidays and be able to find bright spots during a year that has not really had that many of them. And you also have to take into consideration. There's a lot of flyers specifically. There's a lot of dads that are spending their first Christmases with their kids for the first time that's a huge milestone and again I know they're athletes but they're people so I don't really see them having to quarantine because that's something that's going to have to happen before coming back to Philly they're not going to let their athletes leave once they get to Philadelphia so it's just why not just give it another week or two and I feel like things would just kind of flow way more seamlessly it will be incredibly incredibly weird to not watch a winter classic on January 1st, but for the safety. And I think how, how well the NHL laid out their return to play and the playoffs um, in Toronto and Edmonton, I think it would be really important for them to kind of take that same kind of precaution and preparation into next season, because they did set the standard really high last um, once they returned to play. So just give it a few more weeks. Yeah, and, and something interesting that Bill Daly said to me, uh, Bill Daly, by the way, Deputy Commissioner of the NHL, um, was that he, he wholeheartedly admitted that the bubble probably went on too long. It was too long, in his opinion, by time. And this was all 
in sort of, you know, hindsight 2020, there was no better way to get around it from where they started and them figuring this out. But he said he felt like it was too long. He felt like the players were isolated among just themselves and away from their families for too long. Um, I'm not the person who asks people to cry for millionaires who play a sport, but I am a person who travels with them. And even with the nice hotels and the nice luggage and the nice planes and everything else, it's, it's a hard life on the families. It's a hard life on the wives and the kids. And the kids have no concept of their dad is rich until they're much older. They have a concept of their dad is gone. And a lot of these players family plan to have children in the summer. That's why you see JVR having a kid in the summer. That's why you see, you know, Claude Giroux's wife last year having a kid in the summer. And a lot of them, Sean Couturier, had to, they had their kid, they left immediately afterward, uh, um, which is not something that was lost on the NHL. A lot of them missed their kid's first, first laugh, their first smile, all those kinds of things. So I do think that the players have a strong argument, especially when you consider it has always has not always been, but it has been, the precedent has been set. They get off the 24th, 25th, and 26th of December. That The NHL is just off. It's something that they, I believe it's in the CBA. Fact check me on that, but it just, they never play. And so to have a camp, and within the last week of camp, have three days off is wildly inconvenient, <laughs> like beyond anything else, like, I just don't see that happening. But Jordan, it does bring up an interesting thought in that you will then have some teams that have not played from the second week of March of 2020 until let's say they do the second week of January of 2021. Realistically, how I, we won't know till we see it, but how much of a disadvantage do you think that's going to be for these teams? Yeah, it's a really interesting element to all of this. Um, and Taryn, I thought it was very interesting when Bill Daly, the NHL deputy commissioner, told you that they had hoped to have like a conditioning camp before the training camps. Um, so it kind of gives you an, an idea that maybe like a full month would be devoted to like conditioning camps and then training camps leading up to the season. So, um, yeah, you know, I think maybe that's just kind of one of the tough breaks of, hey, you were a team that finished in the bottom seven of the league. And that's kind of how it, sh how it shaked out. You know, it's like, you know, we invited 24 teams into this return to play tournament. Uh, it was probably a lot, maybe even more than they should have. And uh, if you were in the bottom seven, tough, you know, you have to get up to speed like everyone else. I, I just don't know how you can really even try to help out those teams anymore. Um, it's already difficult right now trying to find a start date for the season. It's already difficult to try to catch up to your normal cycle. Um, we still don't know how the pandemic is going to kind of evolve with time through this winter. So I just don't think they're going to really be able to do anything special for those teams that have not played in a while. Uh, if anything, maybe they can, they can reconvene a little earlier than usual. Um, but I'm not really sure. I, I do think a January, a start date and sometime in January, I think just makes sense. And I can see that being realistic and possible. Um, I do think they would be able to work around the, the holiday time in December, like you said, Taryn, they always do that with the mandated holiday break in the NHL. And I feel like they're a relatively player-friendly league, uh, the, the NHL. They also have the All-Star break, and now they have the instituted bye week around the, around the All-Star break. So they give a, you know, the holiday break plus the bye week and the All-Star break. 
I feel like they do allow some decent amount of time off. But, listen, I cannot speak to you and players that deal with that grind and being away from families. But hopefully families can be together, at least in the, their NHL home cities, uh, during that time. I hope that's something that Elise is uh, something – Good for the they will not. They will not do bubbles. They will. They said they refuse to do bubbles. So I would right. expect that even through camps, they, it, they would probably run like the NFL does. Like they just ask people to practice, I think, common sense among their family members. I don't even. Right. So even if they I do, guess, even, exactly. So even if they are holding camps like late in late December and shooting for some type of January start date, I hope and at least that the players and coaches and staffs they can at least be in their home cities with their families. Obviously it won't be their home countries or uh, where they grew up or where they stay in the off season, but at least hopefully they can be all together and they can celebrate the holidays. Cause absolutely you, you hope the players can at least enjoy that. Um, they've gone through a ton right now, obviously with the chaoticness and all that uh, to, to these stoppages and restarts. But so, yeah, I think a January start date is realistic. And to answer your previous question, I really don't know what they can do to those bottom seven teams that have been off for all this time. I think it's just going to be, hey, you got to get up to speed like everyone else. A big sorry, not sorry from Jordan Hall. Quick <laughs> yeah. aside, because I've never actually looked into this. I just know it's always been what it is. Is the mandated holiday situation, was that a league set precedent or was that in a CBA at some point in time? I'm not sure, but I definitely know Me it either. was instituted. I think it was instituted – relatively recently yeah. um and i, I yeah i don't know that why i ask questions <laughs> yeah i don't know if that was a i just it's one of those things where it's like why is the sky blue you don't really know it just is like it, I, yeah. why are they off did the players collectively bargain for it was it you know something that they they brought to the table yeah um, i wonder if the nhlpa pushed for it and then maybe the trade-off was kind of like hey you know we're going to play on new year's day a lot new year's eve a lot um Let's we're going to meet you in Prague and then go to Edmonton immediately afterwards, and we're going to drag your broadcast team with you, and then right. we're just going to, like, barely form sentences on television. <laughs> I love my job. I'm so really grateful. I just still, like, sometimes I still get, like, whiplash of just being awake at, like, 4 a.m. Edmonton, like, wired awake at 4 a.m. in Vancouver, and it's just like, I don't know the city. I can't be wandering around at 4 a.m. in a different city. Okay. Including the preseason uh, game, real quick, wasn't it four countries? What do you mean? Including the preseason game last year, wasn't it? It was like four oh, countries. Oh, yeah, it was, it was Switzerland, like the first- then Czech Republic, then back for the game against the Devils, and then in Vancouver. Yeah. So and it was so four- it was um, – that was crazy. I think it was nine time zones once you go across all the way. Yeah. Um, and it was awesome. I would do it all again, but it was just like, my job requires me like to just basically do the research, show up and try to say it without stumbling <laughs> and to actually have to play a hockey game. And then the Blackhawks were home for like nine consecutive games after they yeah. went to Prague. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just remember when we went to Chicago, because we, the Flyers were their last, I think, home game of that homestand after they got back from Chicago, after they got yeah. back from Prague. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, it's like November now. How long have you been home? Like, what is this? A lot of questions about expectations for Morgan Frost next year. Can we see him up? Will we see him up for a sustained amount of time? Do you think he is ready? I know that's hard to say. Everybody's training at home. We don't have access to them. But what do you expect out of Morgan Frost? 
I definitely see Morgan Frost playing with the Flyers at some point in the 2020-21 season. I don't know if he makes the team out of camp, uh, but just like last year, I think they will need him at some point. They will want an injection of offense. Um, and I think this offseason, he's probably going to only get stronger, which is one thing they really want him to do. And I think he's going to play more of a 200-foot game. But I'm not sure he really cracks the roster. Um, I think they have enough, enough depth and options uh, come whenever the season starts that he might not be on the roster to start. But I definitely, at some point, expect to see him. And I think they'll expect to see more consistency and 200-foot play out of his game whenever he joins the Flyers at some point. Brooke, do you feel like depth aside, because we know that the Flyers have a ton of depth, but do you feel as though Morgan Frost could be ready should he be called upon in some instance this year? Uh, he'll definitely be ready. If he gets the green light, I, I think every player hopes that they get that at least one point if they're not with the team, you know, that first game of the season. But we kind of touched on this in last week's podcast, and I'm just going to nudge on it again, is that if Morgan Frost can't get at least middle six minutes, top six minutes, I think it's been pretty clear that they want him to play in Lehigh Valley so he can get that time on ice that he rightfully deserves to continue to develop his game. So while he may be like a patch here or there for injury or maybe just to shake things up for maybe like 10, 15 game stints, depending on how differently condensed the season is, you know, we, we really have no idea what the timeline is going to look like, how many games they're going to play. But I don't really see him just coming up for the sake of it. Like, all right, he's ready. Let's bring him up. And then he plays eight to 10 minutes at a night, if not less. So while he may be ready, he, he might just be like a temporary patch here or there. That's how I'm seeing it, at least. I, first of all, I do agree with that. I feel like we're going to get um, more than he played this year, maybe like a Carson Torensky kind of season ahead of him. I also feel like I really, I would like to see Carson Torensky up more. Yes. I mean, yes. I thought he was he was great. I mean, he's not going to blow your socks off, but it's a bottom six guy. I actually thought he developed into a really nice player. I have, I have an answer to the, the question that no one submitted and no one ever asked. Uh, <laughs> uh, the league put an end at some point, but when? Well, the last hockey game on Christmas was in 1971. There were a total of six games played on Christmas. No Christmas games were set for 1972, and a moratorium was eventually placed preventing any games from being played on this day. So it wasn't like an NHLPA, NHL collective bargaining agreement, we're not going to play. They said that players and staff just continued to put pressure on it and they stopped scheduling. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. 
How a Broom Almost Killed Curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Flyers Talk is presented by Wells Fargo. When our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help. Brooke, where do you think the gap, whether it's talent gap, effort gap, coaching gap, whatever, stands between the Islanders and the Flyers, given that that was the team that ended their season? I'm not going to sit here and say that there there isn't a gap because to some extent there was, but and I also don't want to sit here and make excuses for a team considering how long they were in the bubble before that second round. But I really think that the bubble played a big effect on this Flyers team because and really just the restart. You didn't see the round robin was great. It was super exciting to be able to see them sweep that and become first in the East, but they were never really up to par with where they left off. And I think that the circumstances completely threw a wrench into the season. And I've said time and time again, how annoyed I am because we weren't able to see how things played out and how a regular playoff run would have been, because I think they would have really made a deep playoff run. And obviously the pandemic COVID taking precautions is obviously the more important scenario instead of us watching hockey. But I, I think the gap is a lot smaller than people think. And you saw a lot of these young guys get a significant amount of playoff experience. Granted, it's not normal playoff experience, but I think it was great to see how well Carter Hart played Philip Myers, Travis Sanheim, um, Travis Konechny and Ivan Provorov finally got some significant playoff time. That's only going to add in the upcoming years. So the, the gap is very small, if not at all. I just turned into Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the thing that always stood out to me, and it, it, was, it was fun because we got to like scream and yell about depth and look at how deep the Flyers are, which was our, our rallying cry all year. But – the thing that was interesting to me in the bubble when it came to the Flyers was your supplemental pieces, your Phil Myers of the world, your Nico Bay Cubell. I mean, Nico Bay Cubell was like the MVP of parts of the postseason. Um, you know, Scott Lawton's not really a supplementary piece. He, he is, I think, a very big part of the Flyers' future in general offensively. Well, really 200 foot wise, but you found, a, I feel like a lot of the goals were almost like these momentous plays, kind of these like bang, bang plays from guys who are really great complementary pieces to your main group, your nucleus of production. The thing was, was that I don't think the nucleus of production really found their footing throughout the playoffs. And we've talked about that at nauseum. Jordan, you know, we mentioned, Brooke mentioned, the gap is probably a lot smaller than it even seemed. I think especially that game seven left a bitter taste in people's mouths, but that wasn't really how the Flyers played throughout much of the postseason. Do you think the gap is closed if it's a regular year? Do you think it's a trade away? Do you think it's, I mean, especially now Matt Niskanen and Tyler Pitlick are gone. Do you, do you think it's one or two players developing away? Where, where does the gap close? No, I think the gap is incredibly close. And one thing I think we forget 
Um, you see a lot of those 3-1 comebacks in the NHL, even we've seen multiple 3-0 comebacks because home ice is so important. Like all you need is a game or two and all of a sudden you kind of swing home ice and all of a sudden you can say to yourself, well, if we go in and steal game six, then we got game seven at our place, that type of nature. Elaine Vigneault and them ta- and players touched on it a ton that home ice is so important in the playoffs that those 3-1 comebacks become realistic. If, the fly- if this was season was played normally – and say the Flyers have home ice against the Islanders, that could totally swing the series. Like, I mean, it went to a game seven. Um, say home ice, Flyers have it because obviously they were the better team in the regular season. Uh, that could have made a big difference, um, something like that. So, uh, and let's be real, the Flyers were the best home, ho- home team in hockey all of last season. They were the best team on home ice in hockey. That could have been a difference maker. But instead, hey, it's a pandemic and there was no fans in the building. And uh, they didn't get to play in front of their home fans. So I do not think the gap is wide at all. I think the Islanders are a very good team. And I think stylistically they matched up well against the Flyers. But um, I don't think the Flyers should hate their chances if they went into another best of seven game, you know, best of seven series with the Islanders. I think it would be tight. And I think the Flyers could, could win it. Um, it just didn't shake out that way. And uh, the season was very different. There was a restart. The Flyers had some veteran players uh, a little older in age. Uh, that admitted that it was kind of tougher to get their games going in this type of format. That's not an excuse, but that's just reality, though, too. All right, last thing I have to say, some guy messaged me and said, will you say hi, Matt, on the pod? So I will say hi, Matt, on the pod. I have no training in how to wrap this up, clearly, because I've gone on forever. So I'm going to volley this up to Jordan, set it for him, and let him spike it. I like that, Taryn Hatcher. That's a spike right there, yo. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Um, no, Taryn Hatcher, this was, this was very fun. Thank you so much for eliciting the questions. We had fun answering them, and we can't wait to do it again. We're going to try to do this as much as we can on Mondays with Taryn and get even more answers from Taryn herself, not just Brooke and myself as well. But special thank you to Taryn Hatcher for compiling all those questions. Uh, special thank you to Brooke Desher, as always. And a special thank you to Ben Berry, our podcast producer. Thank you all three. And Flyers fans, thank you for listening and sending in your questions. This is the latest Flyers Talk podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and subscribe, and we cannot wait to talk to you next time. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.